the team did an amazing job last year of first building our own platform and then migrating off the third-party platform. And so banking for investing is the first application, but because it's an open platform, we're able to plug in other third-party APIs, which would allow us to provide other services or build more of our own services on top of it. And today we use it not just for banking um, services for investing with our partner Stride Bank, but also it's the point of connectivity for people like Marketa and Mambu and Alloy and MasterCard and others. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. Company transitions are always interesting. And one transition I particularly like is that pivotal point when a startup matures and a founder steps aside to make way for new leadership. It's an important stage, figuring out how to balance the passion and insight of a founder with new leadership needed to continue to grow the vision. Stash, a company we've covered over the past few years here at Tearsheet, is undergoing an important transition now. Liza Landsman joined a few months back as CEO, and Liza seems to have the perfect background to lead Stash into its next leg of maturity. She combines deep product and leadership experiences in e-commerce, banking, and investing at firms like Jet.com, Citigroup, BlackRock, and E-Trade. She also worked with a lot of founders in her most recent role as investor at NEA. Stash's model, which works with everyday folks to consistently invest a little bit at a time, itself is part banking, part e-commerce, and part investing. Liza joins me on the podcast to talk about her mandate as CEO and the work ahead. We talk about Stash's mission and how it's built a service that people genuinely enjoy using. Liza shares the metrics that will serve as the firm's North Star moving ahead. We also discuss Stash Core. The firm built its next generation infrastructure that will allow it better economics as well as the ability to more easily plug in partners to the ecosystem. Liza says this will manifest itself on the consumer side, but also in the firm's new work embarking on B2B. Liza Landsman is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. So who are you and what do you do? Hey, I'm Liza Landsman. I'm the CEO at Stash, and I am delighted to be here today. Thank you. Welcome, Liza. Um, let's talk about, I guess, where Stash is. Before we get into your background, um, we've had Brandon on the podcast a couple of times, founder, CEO, right? Um, what's happening now? Um, well, I mean, the great news for me is that um, I have joined and Brandon is still a big part of our executive team. Um, he has sort of returned to his roots as like the serial innovator um, and is leading work for us on a new part of our business, which is sort of focused more on B2B. Um, and I have the great joy and privilege of running the rest of the day-to-day -day business. You get to take the trash out at the end of the day. Um, some days. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Cause I think that that is, that is a relatively for successful companies. That's, that's a, a good turning point in their maturation cycle, right? Like, um, founder kind of moves over into product, which is typically what, you know, the breadth of life that, that infused the company to start with and, and, and professional management comes in to kind of run the company into the next stage of growth is, yeah. is that similar to what's happening at Stash? Yeah, I think that's a really good encapsulation. I mean, like it's I've had the really welcome opportunity in sort of multiple roles in my career, both as an operator, having worked previously with other founders, but um, more recently, um, I, I went over to the dark side for five years as an investor. 
um, and got to work with a ton of founders. And the thing that I will say that I really appreciate and admire about Brandon and Ed, his co-founder, is that they're so passionate about the mission of the company, which is a big part of the reason I was excited to join and the potential of it. They kind of got to a moment in time where they said like, this company and its mission is best served by us doing like X and bringing in somebody else who's good at Y. Um, and that's kind of this stage of scaling, which is honestly the stage of company I love. So um, it's a really symbiotic relationship. But um, all I can say is um, it is a great gift to work with founders who have this level of self-confidence and self-awareness. It is not always the most common trait among founders. I get that. I'm sure you saw a lot of that as an investor. Maybe we'll get back to that, but I'm kind of curious about so something all you said. of my CEOs when I was an investor were lovely. Okay. All of them. Rainbows and unicorns. So what was it about the mission that got you excited to join Stash? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm one, you know, I have said this with people here um, many times, which is, I think, you know, if Stash had existed when I graduated college, like maybe I wouldn't actually be qualified to be in this job because I made so many career choices early on around like repaying my college debt. And I had no clue how to like save and build long-term wealth. Came from a family with no money, like waitress my way through college. And I kind of didn't understand at that, you know, that first decade of my career, um, the great possibility of, you know, sort of building sustain sustainable economic viability for myself other than through like sweat equity, um, which is important, uh, but it just feels, felt to me like the culmination of so many different pieces of my career working in consumer finance at large money center banks, working in asset management, working at E-Trade, working in high growth startups. And, you know, people have said like, well, what, what one thing did you do that repaired you? And I was like, no, it's actually like, is all of those, the smorgasbord of those things together that kind of made me feel like this is the perfect culmination, but also one that spoke to me on such a personal level because not only do I wish I had had it, but I think sort of equal access is like, just as a human being, one of the most important sort of values for me. I like that. So what, what would you have done differently um, if you had grown up with a, with a stash available to you? I, don't, I, I suspect I might've been a teacher. I mean, I'm, I, I always- I mean, it would have impacted your career path, not just your financial yeah. path. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think I, I mean, you know, I, the counterfactuals are always kind of tricky because like, the, but, uh, yeah. the truth is I have loved with the possible exception of my last two years at city during under like the Pazar, although I learned a lot, I've loved like every moment of my career and feel like I've gotten like great things out of it. Um, so I don't look back with regret, but I do think I know I made a bunch of choices early in my career based on how to pay off my college debt versus, oh, this is the true passion of my life. Interesting. So it, it sort of predefined some of the steps you would take maybe. hundred percent. Um, and, and what in the, you've been at stash three months now, right? In the CEO role, uh, two months, 
two months. Plus, I'm CEO, but I came as um, uh, I joined the board for uh, I don't know, about five months before I uh, moved into the CEO seat. And and what hat do you find yourself wearing from some of those previous conversations, previous roles that you've had in your life, like primarily now in these first couple months? Because you're still just learning. It's not. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I'm there's like, still stuff you figure out about the business every day that's new. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, I feel like in most growth businesses, that's true even if you've been there for five years. Um, but I guess a couple of things. One, certainly capital allocator. Um, and I say that in part because like how you invest your money, I mean, it's similar as we think about it for consumers, but how you invest your money is like a pure expression of what you value. Mm -hmm. um, and so here it's around building out sort of this next generation team for this next phase of growth. Um, and so it's a combination of capital allocator, like what projects are we going to work on? What things are we going to fund? But also what kind of um, talent are we going to attract and how are we going to retain the best talent? Um, two, you know, I'm an old product person. Um, that always sounds terrible when I say it. I've worked leading product teams many times. Um, I guess I'm just a middle-aged product person. Um, but uh, spending a lot of time on product, I think one of the things um, that is great about where the company is, is that it's done so much incredible foundational work, including um, launching Stash Core last year, which we can talk about in more detail later. Um, but we're very rich on feature functionality. But one of the things that has also happened over time, and we've talked about it a lot, like the core essence of the product is so powerful and so deeply needed and loved by consumers. But over time, as like this is so common in high growth companies, we've kind of become like a loaded baked potato. So like lots of great stuff lumped on top of the potato and we're doing some work now to actually um, clarify and streamline the consumer experience. So particularly for first time investors or you know, sort of less confident investors as they come on the platform, they can kind of get to the meaty kernel of stuff they wanna to get to sooner. Um, and so I'm spending a fair amount of my time on the product side as well. And that's also really fun for me because I love that stuff. And one of the things that I've found um, covering Stash over the years is like, it, there are very few companies in our coverage space that people like have an affinity towards in FinTech, like really enjoy. And, and that's one of the things I've heard from users of, of Stash. It's like, there's, there's a, there's, there's that enjoyment factor. I think that I, doesn't exist. It's not easy to get. No, no, I look, you're right. I mean, I think it was part of the magic of the platform. I mean, some of it I think comes actually, frankly, from the business model itself, there's, because unlike many other players in the fintech category who are sort of of necessity because of their business models, very focused on driving transactions, the interaction consumers can have with those platforms is literally quite transactional and everything in it is designed to like push you to like do more and more and more and actually because we're on a subscription model and like we don't rely on transaction volume, we're just trying to like coach you to do the least amount to get you the best outcome, right? Like it's actually very simple at its core, which is like small amount invested consistently over time in a diversified 
portfolio with buy and hold. And um, I think we also have really created the product so that it's structured in a way to guide that behavior as opposed to like preachy and pedantic. It kind mm -hmm. of like learn through doing rather than let you read a 75 page white paper before you like pick your first ETF. Yeah. Like the brand voice is very, um, sounds like a peer or, uh, maybe a little bit more advanced, but definitely not preachy in any way. It definitely feels like you're being guided gently with enough space to kind of figure stuff out on your own. And yeah. I assume that's intentional. Yeah, absolutely. We want it to have a vibe that is kind of like, your friend who's into the market, who you ask for good advice. Right. And you're not asking for stock picks per se, um, but it's, it's more like it's how to invest well, which is more yeah. valuable. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, like, I think part of the magic that is in the model and the way we engage with consumers is that it does feel accessible. It does feel like a peer. I, I think part of the reason I personally was so drawn to this is having grown up inside of like traditional legacy consumer finance um, in great blue chip companies. The thing that you can't fail to observe when you sit inside them is that they are terrific and perfectly de de designed if you are part of the 12 and a half percent of America that is mass affluent and for everyone else not so much fee structures don't make sense the asset level requirements don't make sense the interaction model doesn't make sense um, and you know our goal is to actually lighten the load of work I mean you think about like what is the mental load every human has every day in this country particularly um, for consumers who um, are kind of in like the current environment, a little stressed by macroeconomics. Yeah. yeah. Um, like we really view our role as to actually like lessen that anxiety rather than heightening it, which I think um, has historically kind of been one of the common modalities of like big finance. Yeah. There's there seems to be an inverse relationship between like impetus to get into the market and actually how well you'll perform longer term, you know, yeah. so it's like, you know, now, now that we're stressed and, you know, speed bumps are important. Let's put it that way. I think uh, the, the firms yeah. that haven't sufficiently addressed that typically burn their customers. I think it's totally right. I mean, we actually talk about this a lot internally and externally. Like we've purposely inserted like a few points of friction into the uh, product so that like you have a moment for consideration and kind of choosing a path. We try and make, we try and remove needless complexity from those, but we do think that that's really important. Got it. And, and how would you frame the man, your mandate stepping into this role? Sorry about that. Um, honestly, it's actually pretty straightforward, which is grow the company really healthily. Mm -hmm. I, I sort of view my mandate and the rest of the executive team right now, like we genuinely believe that the product and service we are offering to consumers, like improves the quality of their lives. 
And so we want more of them to be able to access it. It's not that much more complex than that. You know, when you sort of click down one other level, like there are some additional channels we'd like to use, but that's really that's all- like how you do it. That's how we do it. And uh -huh. there's some additional products we'll probably add, but all of that is in service of in helping consumers invest better so they can build long-term economic sustainability. Like so what, that mission actually stayed pretty pure. And we're now sort of just in the phase of like, we're changing how we do that, but not why we do it. Well, that makes it definitely clearer for you moving into this role. And um, I guess what kind of metrics would you use, Liza, to determine at a company level, healthy growth? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously we look at um, like whether our subscribers are sticking around. I mean, that's kind of, it's funny, we talk about this a lot. Um, the company had tracked prior to my joining a lot of great um, customer satisfaction metrics. So CSAT on the phones um, and very like detailed and specific metrics around how people rated different aspects of their journey in app. Um, and those are all good. Um, but I am kind of a fan of first principles view of the universe. And I was like, they're kind of two things that really tell you how you're doing with customers. The first is whether they stick around, but that's a lagging indicator. The second is NPS, which to me is sort of the least imperfect of a set of imperfect choices to measure like how much do your customers love you overall. Um, and so the company actually had not connect, uh, collected MPS on a regular basis until recently. We actually just launched it a month ago and we're kind of using sort of MPS and retention as our twin North stars around like how much do our customers love us and is it healthy growth? There are lots of ways, there are lots of ways companies in our kinds of business can drive revenue, but in a subscription business, whether people continue to like um, feel the subscription has value and stick around for it, to me is sort of the purest expression of whether they're doing it or not. And everything else is kind of interesting, but not foundational to the relationship. I really appreciate the way you explained that. Um, one thing you said, Liza, earlier, you were talking about um, Stash Core. Mm. Um, it's not something we've covered at Tearsheet. So, so can you explain what that is and, and why it's important for the firm? Sure. Um, for most of the firm's history um, or post when it provided sort of uh, banking for investing, it relied on a third party platform to perform that service. Um, as the business grew and scaled, um, Brandon and Ed, the co-founders realized one, there was a tremendous opportunity to think about other kinds of innovation if that sort of back end piece of the system was something we could run, own, and manage. Um, and two, quite frankly, it would give us the opportunity from a unit economic perspective to be able to have more money to invest back in sort of value in the subscription. And so the team did an amazing job last year of migrate first building our own platform and then migrating off the third party platform. And so banking for investing is the first application, but because it's an open platform, we're able to plug in other third party APIs, which would allow us to provide other services. 
or build more of our own services on top of it. And today we use it not just for banking um, services for investing with our partner Stride Bank, but also it's the point of connectivity for people like Marketa and Mambu and Alloy and MasterCard and others. Um, and this is just kind of like the end of the beginning in terms of how we think about leveraging the core platform to both grow the business, but also quite frankly, um, control our own destiny. It is one of the interesting challenges. You know, we talked earlier about what do I see my role as? And part of that I said is capital allocator. Um, it's a, it is a great and fortunate position to be in um, um, as part of a leadership team when you're like, we have lots of great choices in front of us. We just have to be really disciplined about which ones we make so we execute with the quality that our consumers deserve. Um, and so we're just being very choiceful about not like proliferating 75 things on the platform out of the gate, but it's great that we have that flexibility and, and the agency to be able to determine like what, what those things are as opposed to being kind of beholden to a third party's development cycle. And having Stash Core, does that enable you to do more things on the B2B side that you were alluding to before? Yeah, it enables us to do more things on the B2B side. It enables us to do more things on the consumer side. Um, and frankly, one of the things that's great about it because it's an open platform is that it allows us when like other great ideas we haven't even thought of yet are thought of by other people to plug them in to our platform. Because I'm a big believer in being like highly selective about where you invest your precious tech resources on what you build. Like this is so core to how we think about account structure um, and the relationship with the consumer that it made sense to bring in. But I will tell you, I, I once worked at a company, um, uh, a large financial institution um, that decided it should build its own video display platform. And I was like, how about YouTube? Have you heard of YouTube? Like we don't actually have to build YouTube all over again ourselves. And um, that is one of the things that I, I love about the flexibility that Core gives us. Like we have the opportunity when it is like really essential to like the lifeblood of our business to build out the things we want, but it also gives us the flexibility to say like, no, we don't, we're not gonna like rediscover fire in 75 different sectors where other like leading technology companies have great solutions for consumers. We can sort of cherry pick those that we want that way because I certainly don't believe we have a monopoly on innovation. You're building an ecosystem, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit more about the B2B strategy? Sure. What is that? What what? How how is Stash positioned? I guess in B two B, what are you doing in that space? I mean, it's early days. This is um, Brandon's baby, and he's very excited about it. I would say, like said, very simply. Um, I say this all the time internally, so Sarah's sick of me saying it. But um, when you think about like where you want to meet the love of your life, do you actually care where that is? No, and so I feel that way about consumers. Like, do we care if we meet them through direct to, direct to consumer channels or through their employers or through other partners? When we think about what we have to offer, um, both the holistic offering and some of its constituent pieces, like the stock back card, 
there are lots of different channels through which we think it's appropriate for consumers to encounter this offering. It doesn't just have to be through like social media or Google search um, or through the app store. Um, what better way on some level than to like meet it through a partner you already know who has a relationship with Stash. And so it's really thinking about, you know, sort of the right strategic partnerships and the way to kind of, I don't want to say tailor the offering. It's really more about positioning it because we actually think from a feature functionality perspective, what we've built is actually like quite holistic and, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a Hungarian Jewish lady, so nothing is ever finished for me, but like we're pretty close. Liza, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thanks for joining us on the TRC podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure for me.